Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, hey, good morning, everyone who is back to in-person gatherings in the house. Good to see you. Can I hear a whoop, whoop? All right. Welcome, guys. So glad you're here. And uh, welcome to those of you who are joining us online uh, as well this morning. Thanks for tuning in with us as we worship together in community. Hey, uh, so glad you joined us. And today we are continuing our teaching series in the book of Romans. Uh, and I'm so grateful for Darren and Naomi. I don't know if you know Darren and Naomi, but uh, if you're new to Crossmite, but they may not, might not be familiar faces to you. But they are our partners in Phuket, Thailand, and uh, we've sent a team there. We've worked with them in a number of different projects, and it's just so great that people on the other side of the globe can join with us in our worship uh, experience this morning together. So anyway, Darren and Naomi, so great seeing you guys, and thanks for reading the scripture this morning. Uh, if you want notes, the crosspointchurch.ca slash notes is the place to go. Uh, I'm sure you can pick up a Wi-Fi signal here in the building, or you can just use data and follow along there. We're not using paper notes because, of course, of COVID, and uh, that would be just a really bad idea, um, especially because I, I lick my fingers when I turn pages. So anyway, uh, I want to start with a question this morning. And here's the question. Have you ever made a mistake that someone else had to pay for? So, I, I don't know, maybe you broke something, maybe you lost something, uh, maybe you miscalculated something, but have you ever made a mistake that someone else had to pay for? Uh, I don't know about you, but I've got a long list of mistakes that I've made in my life that somebody else has happened along to pay for. Uh, there's that time I ex- accidentally pulled a fire alarm in a church I was working in. I thought it was a, a light switch. It was a fire alarm. Fire crew showed up. They moved away. bill, church paid for it. I was thankful for that. Um, There's that time where a family loaned me their luxury sedan for my family, and I insisted on putting my CD into their CD player, and it wouldn't work, it wouldn't work, it wouldn't work. So finally, I mashed it in there, and it got in, and it still didn't work. I didn't realize that there was another CD still in there. Well, thousands of dollars later, after they pulled off the dash and pulled out the deck, they paid for it. I didn't have to. Of course, then there was that time when my teenage buddy and myself got pulled over by the police in my stupider, wilder, younger days, and we were given a ticket for possession of alcohol by a minor. I didn't have to pay for the ticket. His parents paid for the ticket for me. And I could go on and on and on. So how about you? Have you made mistakes that somebody else has had to pay for? Now, you know, the funny thing is that even though these mistakes are paid for by other people, And we're thankful for that. I mean, we are grateful for that. I still get unsettled when I remember them. I still have this feeling inside when I think back to what somebody did for me, and I kind of go, ah, you know, because it kind of irks me. I I feel like there's like, there's like something I still have to do to kind of go back and repay them or, or to fix what I've done, or somehow I've got to work off my debt because I did something really, 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 really dumb. I, I think about that classic story of a man named Thomas Watson. Uh, He was an extraordinary leader. Thomas Watson was the CEO of IBM from 1956 to 1971. And one day, a young executive made some huge mistakes in the company. And this cost IBM millions of dollars. And you've got to remember, this was like 60 years ago. So millions of dollars was worth a lot more back then. So he made a bunch of mistakes. 
and uh, he was called to Watson's office. And, and as he came into Watson's office, he just kind of shuffled in past the threshold of the door, and he's, he's looking down at the ground, and he says, you know, I suppose, Mr. Watson, after all these mistakes, that you've called me in here today to fire me. The room was silent, and the air was thick. And finally, Mr. Watson spoke up, and he says, not at all, young man. <laughs> Like, why on earth would I fire you? I just spent millions of dollars for your education. Now, I'm sure that that young executive felt grateful, right? I'm sure he was like, oh, you know, I get to keep my job. But I wonder if for the rest of his life, he didn't bear this weight of saying, oh, man, I owe it to IBM. I got to somehow fix this. I got to somehow pay this back. So how about you? Have you ever felt like a mistake that you made in the past left you kind of with this burden that you, you had to pay for it somehow? You had to work it off. Well, today as we continue in Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, we discover that we're not the only ones who wrestle with this inner tension. This idea that it's, it's really difficult to accept that God has paid for our mistakes and that this is a free gift, a free gift for us through faith alone. We don't have to do anything about it. But so often, our human nature says, oh, I have to. We're often tempted to add something more to the equation. So we're going to get into that in just a moment. But before I do that, I want to bring us up to speed. I want to kind of color in the lines in the background of what we're looking at in the letter to the Romans. Uh, so the, in Paul's letter to the Romans, he was writing to a church that was divided, essentially. There was a, some tension that was being experienced in the church between two groups, what we would know as the Jewish Christians and the Gentile or the non-Jewish Christians. And, and some of the Jewish Christians may have thought that they, they had a better footing before God. After all, they were God's chosen people. They were given the law. They, they had circumcision. So, so some of them may even have thought they were maybe a step above the other Gentiles. But then on the other hand, the Gentiles Christians, they may have scorned the Jewish Christians because they felt like, wow, they're too restrictive. You know, like they're set in their ways or they weren't as free as they were, as the Gentiles were, not as progressive as the Gentiles. So in the first few chapters of Romans, what Paul is doing is he's, he's kind of leveling the playing field between these two groups by showing that, that both Jews and Gentiles equally are in the penalty box. They're both culpable. They're both accountable which means that everyone is lost and broken, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile. Everyone needs Jesus to rescue them and put them back together. So, so last week, we learned that through Jesus, we are justified. We have right standing before God. Through Jesus, we are redeemed. So we are free from the penalty and the power of sin. And through Jesus, we are covered so he covers our sins and the wrath of God. We learned that last week. But what we also learned that this is ours, not through our own efforts, not through our own works, but only through faith in Jesus Christ in what he did for us. And this applies to everyone. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or you're a Gentile. Whatever your people group background is, it does not matter. This is for everyone. Well, today in Romans chapter 4, as we've heard in the text as it was read, Paul is kind of continuing this theme of faith and works. The big idea of what we're going to learn today is just simply this. When it comes to our mistakes, the mistakes that we've made, faith counts for everything and works count for nothing. So what do we mean by that? What does it mean that faith counts for everything? Well, let's walk through the text together. 
And this morning, we're going to discover as we go through Paul's text, what exactly faith counts for. Two things. First of all, faith counts for righteousness. So in the first five verses, Paul is essentially asking this question. How are we justified? Are we justified by faith or are we justified through works? Now, the word justified, again, this is a Bible word. It's not always a familiar word, but essentially means to be in right standing before God. Another word that's often used uh, kind of parallel to justified is, is righteousness. So it means that God no longer holds us accountable for the things that we've done. And the reason we need justification, Paul says, is because there is a cost for our sins. And that personal cost is spiritual separation from God, both now and forevermore. And, and in the first three chapters, Paul's actually been unpacking this. And, and it's summarized in Romans 3, verse 23, where he says, The wages uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, so we've all fallen short. We have all sinned. Think of it this way. It's, it's, it's like popping a balloon. I mean, you can use a pin or you can use a hand grenade. At the end of the day, the result is the same. The pin is broken, uh, the balloon is broken, and it's not going back to its former state. So Paul says, you know, there's a cost that needs to be paid. There's a penalty. And how do we pay for it? Well, Paul has already established in chapter 3 that we cannot work for it right? So no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we strain, we will never succeed. It, it, it's, like, it's like trying to fix Niagara Falls with a roll of duct tape, all right? There is no way that you are going to stop that leak. And Paul says, this is exactly why we need Jesus. Jesus was the obedient, perfect Israelite who fulfilled the law while he lived, and he was the spotless, sinless Lamb of God who died in our place. And it's only through Jesus that we are justified we are redeemed, and we are covered. And the only way to access this gift of grace that God has given us in Christ Jesus, the only way is by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. So that's what Paul's been saying to this point. That's what Paul is trying to say in this, these first five verses. But to demonstrate this, Paul points us to the person of Abraham. And he uses Abraham because Abraham is a unique character in biblical history. Abraham had a specific role that he played in God's plan. See, Abraham wasn't just an example that Paul was throwing out there. As a matter of fact, Abraham was the beginning of God's covenant family. He's the prototype of how all people are justified, and he's the prototype of how all people are welcomed into God's family. So in the Old Testament, we read about Abraham's first encounter with God in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, the Lord appeared to him. You might be familiar with the story. And he, and he promised Abraham, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you children. I'm going to give you a blessing. He says, I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to, from you, I'm going to make a great nation of people. And then Abraham was told, I want you to leave everything behind. And I want you to go into a land that I would reveal to you. So Abraham was obedient. And he went, just as God said. And at that time, he was about 75 years old. Imagine making that type of a transition at the age of 75. Well, years went by. Abraham still didn't have any children. Um, maybe for biological reasons. Um, and of course, Abraham was discouraged by this result. He probably wondered to himself, you know, why, what happened to God's promise, right? I mean, did I somehow mishear it? Like, was, did I have a bad burrito one night? Like, what was going on here? Or, or was God holding out on me? So he started to wonder, maybe, maybe his servant was who God was talking about would be his heir. Because after all, in the tradition of the culture in that day, that's what they would have done. If you couldn't have had any children, all of your inheritance would go to your servant. So in Genesis 15, it says that the Lord appeared again to Abraham, and he appeared to him in a vision. 
And Abraham brings his concerns before the Lord. And he says to the Lord, he says, Lord, how can I be a great nation if I don't have any children? And so the Lord reassures him. And the Lord takes him outside. And it's dark outside and it's a clear night. And this is what the Lord says to him in Genesis 15, 5. He says, look toward heaven. And I want you to number the stars. If you are able to number them, so shall your offspring be. I mean, this was quite a promise, right? I mean, I mean, like, think about it. I mean, Abraham and his wife had tried many times to have children. All of their effort and all of their energies did not pay off, and they weren't getting any younger, right? They were getting a whole lot older, and yet God was telling them, hey, look up, look at the countless stars in the sky, and I want you to imagine, Abraham, just imagine. I mean, this would have seemed almost like an impossible dream. And, and I don't know about you this morning, but maybe, maybe you found yourself in a similar situation. Standing at the precipice between faith and doubt. I mean, all of your efforts have failed. You've got every reason not to believe. Stepping outside, stepping across that line seems just, doesn't seem any, to make any sense by human reason. Except you know this. You know that God has spoken. And you know that God has promised I wonder this morning, have you ever been there? Or maybe you're there right now, standing at this edge, wondering to yourself, should I cross over? Well, we pick up Abraham's response in the next verse. Here's what it says. Genesis 15, 6, And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him as righteousness. So Abraham decided in that moment, he decided he's going to risk on God. He threw caution to the wind. He stepped across the breach from doubt to faith, and he stood with the God of the impossible. And it says in that moment, God counted that to him as righteousness. And this is the point that Paul's trying to make here. He's, he's saying, Abraham, he didn't work for his righteousness. As a matter of fact, from what we know of Abraham, Abraham didn't deserve it. I mean, think about Abraham. We know a number of things from him from Scripture. I mean, Abraham, first of all, he was a pagan. In other words, he didn't always know God, right? He met God much later in life. He didn't grow up listening to veggie tales. We also know that Abraham worshipped idols. We read that in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2. His father was an idol worshiper. Abraham worshipped the idols along with his father. And we also know that Abraham made really, really dumb, sinful choices. As a matter of fact, he actually pimped out his wife to save his own life. So Abraham, I mean, he did not have an extraordinary spiritual resume when he began this. He couldn't work for his righteousness. He could only believe for it. Because only faith counts for righteousness. Now, now, you might have heard the story uh, there, about this couple recently, this last week. They were hiking in Ontario, and, and they made a very costly mistake. Um, so the trail that they were following on led them out onto the ice in the Georgian Bay. And Georgian Bay, if you know Georgian Bay, it's part of, part of Lake Huron. And with the warmer temperatures fluctuating in the region, they probably shouldn't have been out on the ice. And as they got onto the ice, they very quickly encountered a problem. The ice that they were standing on sheared and broke off from the shore and began drifting out towards the, the middle of the bay. I mean, this is a big flow of ice. It was like the size of a football field. But as they looked back to the shore, they saw, whoa, they saw the water churning between themselves and the shore, and, and they realized, there's no way I'm swimming back. Like, I got nowhere to go. They had nothing else that they could do as they drift farther and farther away. But fortunately, fortunately, their phones still worked. 
And so the only thing they could do is cry out for help. And they got on the phone and they started calling people. And then after that, to keep their center of gravity low, they just sat down on the ice and they waited in faith. Well, fortunately, the, the, the Royal Air Force was in the area and they sent out a plane and the plane was able to spot out where they were and then they called the OPP helicopter, which is the Ontario Provincial Police. Ontario Provincial Police showed up, drops in the rescue team, picks them up, woo, rescued, they're saved. End of story, great story. When they picked them up, it says that they were about three kilometers away from shore. Can you imagine floating on this big piece of ice three kilometers out? Now, I want to point something out that you won't read in the news stories. Because I've read about 10 versions of this in the news. And what they don't tell you in the news stories is that this was not a free ride. This was, in fact, a costly ride. And somebody had to pay for it. I, I did a little bit of digging, and I, and I wanted to find out how much it really costs for search and rescue efforts to take place. And I, I discovered that they can cost up to $10,000 an hour for a search and rescue team to go out and rescue somebody. And you think of how many hours they were out there. Fortunately, these hikers did not have to pay for their own rescue. Fortunately, the government paid for it. And maybe Alberta Oil, I'm not sure, okay? <laughs> but fortunately, they didn't have to pay for it themselves. And in the very same way, friends, the gospel declares that we are powerless to rescue ourselves. And the gap and the divide between us and God is great. And there is nothing we can do to cross over. And Jesus paid the cost of our foolish meanderings. And the only thing that we can do to bridge that gap is to call out to him and to trust in his ability to save us because we cannot save ourselves. Now, just to reinforce this point, Paul goes on and he quotes King David. And he quotes King David's writings in what, what we know as Psalm 32. And, and as you read that in the text, you discover that David says there's a blessing. There's actually a blessing that comes from being counted as righteous. So, so I'll just read verse 7 and 8 where Paul quotes David. He says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And again, we find these verses in the New Testament. It's often easy to just kind of skip over them as like maybe they're just a little footnote from antiquity. But, but I think Paul wants us to linger here for just a moment this morning. See, Psalm 32 is unique because it describes the inner turmoil that a person experiences from unresolved sin. David, of course, is, is likely writing from his personal experience. If you know David's experience. He was an adulterer. David was a murderer. He held it inside until he was confronted by Nathan. And, and David in this, in Psalm 32, he shares about the painful burden of holding on to your guilt and your shame. He says, you know, sometimes it's, it feels like your bones are just wasting away. It's like you're, you're, you're feeling like you're, you're being crushed underneath of this weight until your strength starts to wither away. And the question is, what do you do what do you do with the crushing weight of guilt that we sometimes feel? Well, David knew that he could not work his way out of this problem. His guilt needed to be absolved. It needed to be covered. It needed to be paid for. And I think some of you today who are here, some of you who are listening on, online or, or downstairs in the Simpson Hall, I think you can identify with David. 
Maybe you're here today and you're, you're carrying this weight of guilt and shame and you've tried to deal with your weight in your own efforts. I mean, maybe you, you've tried to clean yourself up and make yourself presentable to God or maybe you just tried to push it down and tuck it away in a corner and not think about it. Or, or maybe you've tried to kind of cover over your mistakes by doing more deeds to kind of shift the balance somehow. But for some reason, you cannot release this bone-crushing burden that you feel inside of you. Well, when did David, when did everything change for David? It changed when he made the life-giving choice of going from being burdened to being blessed. See, everything changed in that moment. You read about this in the psalm. Everything changed the moment he confessed his sins to a forgiving God and received mercy. And it says that when he did this, when he did this, his sins were not counted against him because he was covered by the blood. And so friends, each and every one of us today, we have a choice. You could go on being burdened, or you could step into God's blessing. How do you do that? This is the point of the passage. You do that through faith, and faith alone, because only faith counts for righteousness. Well, what else does it count for? Well, it also counts for everyone. So now the question in, in, in verse 9 to 12 is this. Well, who gets to receive this blessing? I mean, who is it for anyway, right? Well, the truth is, is it counts for everyone. Now, there were some Jewish Christians in the church there who would have countered with Paul, and they would have said, well, okay, well, yeah, I like what you say, Paul, about circumcision. Yes, faith counts for righteousness, but the truth is, Paul, it actually only counts for righteousness uh, if you have circumcision. See, the, the Jews would have understood that the circumcision was the mark of the covenant. It indicated that you were part of God's covenant people, and if you weren't circumcised, then you were not in the covenant. And so some of the Jewish believers, of course, they would have insisted. They would have said, you know, the Gentile believers, if they're going to be part of this Jesus family, this new community that he's creating, they also have to be circumcised just like the rest of us. And so Paul is asking the question, does this blessing include the circumcised as well as the uncircumcised? And a lot of adult males in the audience said, Paul, that's a really good question. <laughs> Let's figure this one out. And so to answer this question, what does Paul do? He goes back to Abraham. And he makes a critical observation about the timeline of Abraham's faith. He asks this, was Abraham justified before he was circumcised? Or was Abraham justified after he was circumcised? And the answer is, well, before. Because here's the thing. Abraham believed the Lord and received his righteousness. That was Genesis chapter 15. But the sign of circumcision doesn't show up later until Genesis chapter 17. As a matter of fact, the sign of circumcision doesn't show up until Abraham is 99 years old. So Abraham was righteous through faith before he was ever circumcised. And so Paul writes this in verse 11. He says, He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, while he was still uncircumcised. So circumcision, the sign of circumcision, Paul says, it's a seal of the righteousness that Abraham already had. That's an interesting word, seal. In that day, a seal was something that was used to validate the authority of a claim. So for example, you would put your seal on a document to show that you supported what was in the document. The, so the seal wasn't the agreement, the seal wasn't the covenant, but it was just validating the covenant that was already there in the document. One way to understand this is to think about a wedding ring. 
Aren't they delicious? Yeah. That hair, it's got 93 written all over it. Puffed sleeves, Anna Green Gables. <laughs> Sorry, Karen. <laughs> a wedding ring is a seal of a covenant between two people. So in a Christian wedding ceremony, a couple, what do they do? They share their vows before God and before everyone else. And the vows uh, are the covenant. They're the covenant of the wedding. However, the covenant is then sealed afterwards through the exchanging of rings. So your wedding ring is the sign and the seal of your actual vows. It's what it represents. Now, what happens if you lose your wedding ring? I've actually lost my wet, had to replace my wedding ring a couple of times. First time it was stolen from a hotel, second time it fell out of my gym bag, okay? Does that mean because I lost my wedding ring that somehow the wedding, the marriage is off? Well, no, because it symbolizes that, okay? Wedding rings can be replaced, all right? Because they're a sign and they're a seal of the covenant. I'm not saying it's okay to lose your wedding ring. It's a really bad idea. I paid for it, okay? Um, but do I need the ring to stay married? No, it's the seal of my vows. It's not my vows. And what Paul is saying is that it was Abraham's faith that justified him. It wasn't circumcision. So, so how on earth can we demand that Gentiles be circumcised? Because it's faith that counts. Now, if this is true, and I believe it is, the implications for this truth are huge. They are far-reaching. Because that means that Jesus has drawn a much bigger circle around God's family. That it not only includes those who are circumcised, it includes those who are uncircumcised. And Paul goes on to say that this makes Abraham the father of all who believe. So that means he is the spiritual father of everyone and anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So what this means for us today, this morning, who are here and those who are joining us online, is that this family circle is wide open for you. It doesn't matter how you vote. It doesn't matter what car you drive. It doesn't matter where you're born, what your age is, what your gender is. It doesn't what you, matter what your bank statement looks like. It, it's open for those of you who cheer for the Eskimos. I don't know why, but it's true. Or for dog lovers, or for those who love country music, if it's in fact music. It is not determined by your marks in school, or how many bowling trophies are gathering dust on your shelf, or how many followers you have on Instagram. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. This circle is wide open for you. None of those things makes a difference. The only thing that makes a difference is whether or not you believe it. Now, some of you might be listening and you might be thinking, okay, Rob, it kind of feels like these past number of weeks we've been kind of hearing the same message over and over again as we've been going through Romans. I get it. Okay, listen, Rob, I get it. I, I'm dead in my sins. I need the gospel. Jesus paid the price for my sins. I can't save myself through my own works. It's only through faith in Jesus that I can be justified. Full stop. Check off the box. I know. Thank you. You might be thinking that. You might be thinking, hey, I know this already. In fact, I believed it years ago. Can't we just move on to something more advanced this morning? 
And this is precisely where your faith is in jeopardy of stagnating and dying. Because believing the gospel isn't just how you begin your faith journey. Believing the gospel is how you live your faith journey. Your spiritual growth in Christ does not happen when you finally advance beyond the gospel. It only happens by going deeper and deeper into the gospel. By understanding it. By reflecting on it. By trusting it. By praying it. By proclaiming it to yourself and to everybody else daily. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the fuel in the furnace of our lives. It fires our worship and our obedience. It blazes through our fears and our depression. Tim Keller reminds us that the gospel is not just the ABCs of your faith. The gospel is the A to Z of your faith. You do not jump off the diving board of the gospel into Christianity. The gospel is the pool that you jump into. I like how Geiger, Kelly, and Nation put it in their book, Transformational Discipleship. Here's what they say. They say, if people in our churches graduate from the gospel, they are not advancing to spiritual maturity, but rather to lifeless religion, moralistic self-righteousness, or performance-based faith, inaccurately called Christian. Only Jesus has the power to melt our hearts. Thus, there is no transformation apart from the truth of the gospel. Friends, there is a very, very real danger when we try to graduate from the gospel. And the danger is that we will become very much like the Jewish Christians in Paul's day. They not only looked to Jesus to justify them, but they thought they had to add something on top of Jesus. So it was Jesus plus the law of Moses. It was Jesus plus circumcision because Jesus may not have been enough. You know, at the start of today's message, I I talked about that, that unsettled feeling you get when someone pays for your mistakes. You have this feeling, I don't deserve it, or, or there's just this compulsion that somehow you have to add to it, or somehow you have, to, you have to pay it back. Do you know that's a very human desire, and it is as old as the Garden of Eden. It is our broken desire to play God, to cover ourselves, to fix ourselves, to try and save ourselves. The problem is, is that there is nothing that you can add to Jesus, to save you. And when you try to add something to Jesus, you lose Jesus entirely. Or one writer put it this way, Jesus plus something equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And some of us, as believers in Christ, we have falsely believed that the gospel gets us in, but what keeps us in is our own effort and our own performance. And because Jesus, he came, not only to, he not, came not only to rescue us from the penalty of sin, he also came to rescue us from the power of sin. So we follow Jesus in glad obedience in response to his grace. So it doesn't mean that we, we stop doing good works. But we always approach Jesus on the basis of what we've done. On the basis, what, on the basis not of what we've done, but on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. Friends, faith counts for everything and works count for nothing. And so cross point, may we go deeper into the gospel. May we believe it. May we sing it. May we remind one another of it again and again and again. May we say it to our souls and may we live it. I want to give you a chance this morning to just pause and to reflect and to pray as we've been doing at the end of all of our gatherings to take just a couple of minutes 
and to ask the question, God, what have you been saying to me? And God, what should I do about it? What should I then do about it? And so for those in the, in the Simpson Hall and those in the room here, and as well as those of us who are online at home, why don't we just take a moment and listen and speak to our God, who's very present, is very near, and who's for us. Let's pause and pray for a couple minutes. Maybe today you are sensing that you are like those hikers trapped out on that ice floe, drifting. A world of difference between yourself and God. Trapped, alone, and lost. Desperately in need of rescue. God would say to you this morning that, that what it recalls from you, what it requires from you is to simply to reach out to him. The scripture promises very clearly that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And maybe today is your day to step across that gap, that precipice, to remove the grinding weight of mistakes upon your shoulders and to believe the God of the impossible and to run to him. And that is yours through faith. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to do that. To just pause and say, Lord, forgive me my sins. Lord, thank you for giving yourself for me through your death and resurrection. To pray, Lord, I surrender myself to you and put my complete faith in you to save me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for loving me and inviting me into your family. Lord, for those who prayed that this morning, maybe for the first time, or maybe as a repeat offender, I pray, Lord, that they would just sense your covering, your blessing, your hope. Thank you that they are forgiven in Christ Jesus, 
Thank you that your grace is for them. I pray now, Lord, that they would continue the journey of discipleship, continuing to discover what it means to follow you and to grow in faith and to receive your gospel every day. And I pray that for all of us, Lord, here today. Lord, that we would be a people, a a community that lives in the gospel, that abides by your grace every single day, that lives by faith and not by works. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing and your love for us in Jesus' name. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.